Welcome back to the Football Fitness Federation podcast. This is episode 148. This episode is with Louis Langdown. Louis is a performance coach, previously worked at a number of different clubs across the Premier League and Football League, and now is working at Solent University as well as combining an assistant manager role at Weymouth as well. So it was great to catch up with Louis. We covered Lowe's in terms of his career transition from analyst. He started out as an analyst very early on um, with Prozone and right up to his current role um, with Weymouth as assistant manager. So we spoke about the different roles he had along the way in his journey so far. We also spoke about some considerations and processes of a part-time team playing in a full-time league, um, which is obviously his current role at Weymouth. We spoke about multitasking and the ability to diversify as well as a coach. And then we also spoke about standing out as a coach. Um, Some some really important advice and experience from Louis for any practitioners, young or old, at any stage of your journey. Um, Some really valuable information from Louis in this podcast. So I hope you enjoy the episode. Just a very quick pointer just before we jump into the episode. We have now got two networking events confirmed each side of the Pennines. So we are in Yorkshire, Thursday the 19th of August. Um, We are at Rotherham at the New York Stadium Rotherham with Ross Burberry and Tom Scoopian. They are going to be presenting for us. Tickets are still available on that event. And we have also just confirmed our brand new event, which is going to be on Tuesday the 31st of August. And that is in Lancashire, Preston North End's training ground at Exton. And we have got presenters, um, assistant sports scientist at Preston, Luke Hemmings, is going to present alongside Liam Anderson, previously of Crew. So really excited for both events. We've already got a number of practitioners booked on to Rotherham from loads of different teams across uh, the football world, Wolves, Hull City, Wigan, A number of different clubs are represented at that meeting so far. So really looking forward to seeing everyone at Rotherham. And then tickets are now available. Early bird tickets are now available for the Preston event as well. So to get either of the tickets, go to footballfitfed.com. Click the shop and the tickets are available there. Here is episode 148 with Louis Langdown. Welcome back to the Football Fitness Federation podcast. This is episode 148. I'm delighted to welcome onto the podcast, Louis Langdown. Louis, how are you? Yeah, all good. Thanks, Ben. Good stuff, mate. Thank you very much for coming on. I know we've got quite a bit to cover in the the podcast, so we'll dive into it. But start us off, mate, your career so far. I've not mentioned any roles or anything like that. I think we're going to dive into that um, in a second. But do you want to just take us through your career um, and give us some of the, the jobs that you've been involved in? Yeah, sure. I mean, this might take a while, Ben. I'm fairly old. So um, I started in 2004 uh, with a company called Prozone. Um, you might have heard of it. They're sort of pioneers, really, in, in the world of data analysis, and especially in football and rugby. Um, and that was my first job after graduating uh, and uh, as an analyst. So match analyst was my first role um, and got uh, the consultant gig at Crystal Palace. Uh, spent a couple of years there as an analyst and then transitioned from analyst to S&C coach, the head of S&C before leaving Palace in around about 2009. So worked under a few managers there um, and, some, and some great players and some, some really nice people. 
Uh, then went to do my MSc in biomechanics and changed slightly my career. Got a coach coaching gig um, with uh, Solent in football, uh, and then had a, a job as a uh, strength conditioning coach for the EIS as, as a part time gig. Got back into football uh, with AFC Bournemouth as head of sports science uh, after a brief stint at Southampton Football Club as under 18 strength conditioning coach. Uh, and then spent a couple of years at Bournemouth before um, getting a sack, as you inevitably do in football, um, uh, or gardening leave, they might call it these days, uh, uh, when the managerial change happened. Um, and then ended up at Portsmouth pretty much immediately after that um, as fitness coach um, and carried on uh, with the uh, academic side of uh, my career really. I've been at Solent University now in, in an official capacity since 2009 as an associate lecturer, but full-time lecturer 2015 when I left full-time football. I'm um, now a course leader uh, in football science and sports science and performance. And I combine that with my assistant manager role at Weymouth. Yeah, brilliant. That's pretty much most of it. Yeah, no, that's cool. And, and in terms of that transition, so from analyst to what now is your assistant manager role at Weymouth, what was, especially from analyst to like sports science, what was the reason for that? Or was it just trying to cover different roles or was it what was available? Well, it, it's a it's a combination of all, I think, Ben. I mean, at Crystal Palace at the time, it, under Simon Jordan's tenure and Ian Dowie was a manager, and I absolutely loved analysis, loved it. Um, we were talking football all the time. And, and the most important thing for me is that I understood football and I could talk to Ian on, on a level of football. And I, and I found that the most, the biggest learning curve. Uh, and from there, I thought I could probably make more impact on the grass. It was funny because back then in, in, in 2005, 2006, you know, everything was quite laborious in analysis. You know, we were working off videotapes and so on and having to digitize and then, then come back. And the internet connection at Copuscope wasn't the greatest. So there was always issues around how efficient uh, uh, the product was although the product was great and it was a, a real eye-opener for me and, and I love the physical data that came from it I love the objective data that came from it I loved being able to help and support uh, the players in terms of feedback I just didn't want to be in a room on my own <laughs> uh, and I was in that a, a laptop on your own four walls cracking out um, as much data as you possibly could and as luck would have it, in, in that position, um, a really great guy called John Harbin was the fitness coach, an Australian, um, and, and he was kind of a, um, a mentor for Ian, I think, Ian Dowie in that respect in terms of uh, holistic programming and so on. And he was really, really good, and I just warmed him massively. Uh, I knew I could learn. S&C was still a big thing in, in, in my eyes, um, you know, from, from my undergrad to moving forward, you know, I was reasonably fit back then and I took a big interest in it so I took the FA Fitness Trainers Award on top of being an analyst uh, and that then opened my eyes up massively um, you know uh, with uh, at the time the FA put on that it was a fantastic course costly um, but a fantastic course and I met loads of people on there which I just buzzed off and I thought it was brilliant and I thought I could make more of an impact on the grass and that's all it was I thought how do I how do I get enjoyment and how do I make more impact and I thought as a fitness coach I could do that started combining the roles as analyst with um the under 18s because believe it or not they didn't have a fitness coach at the time and we're talking 2006 and, and they didn't have a, a fitness coach they had some wonderful players in there and, and now you look at Crystal Palace it's a it's a it's a fantastic um uh, football club in terms of development and Gary Asuk came on board who's still there now as the academy manager and, and I supported that 
Um, and I found that was better for me personally, and I enjoyed it. Um, and I didn't see where analysis was going at the club. I didn't see it at the time. There was only one analyst. That was me. Um, and I didn't see it growing, but I saw the S&C side growing. So uh, we built a new gym and so on. But really, it's the key people around it. So I had a, a, a fellow called Mark Hulse who was with the FA and he was brilliant, a, a, a brilliant uh, in terms of learning. So I stole most of Mark's sessions and currently still use most of Mark's sessions. And it's now 2021. So thank you, Holsey, for that. Um, uh, but I just enjoyed it more. And that's how I transitioned. And then, you know, in football clubs, what happens? A new manager comes in. Uh, some people go and there seems to be a position available. And, and um, Peter Taylor came in and and, uh, uh, and there was a position available. Neil Warnock came in and there was a position available. So I took over the head of an, uh, the head of S&C, sorry, after working sort of a year and a half with um, with the under 18s. And, and I took that on and Neil brought an analyst down from Sheffield United. So it kind of fitted. It fitted what the, the club required, really. Um, I only lasted a season and a bit with Neil. Um, but what a guy, um, tremendous, tremendous man management. And uh, for, for, for me, I needed to get home. I had a young family that I'd, um, I'd kind of selfishly left and that, that was pulling me back. Um, they were in Southampton, I was in Palace, not, not geographically, not too long, you would, you would think, but um, it, it is in football when you're the only sort of, you know, you know there's, there's you and one other in terms of S&C, you, you've really got to be there for the players. So that was difficult back then. So that, that, that was really the transition. And the hardest thing I found was being, and, and uh, you know, I had lots of issues uh, in terms of getting the players respect quickly. They liked me as a character, as an analyst, no problem, but saw me as the analyst. Um, you know, I had a bit of a, Sean Derry won't mind me saying, you know, we had a bit of a, a set to one, one day on the training ground. And um, it was, it was difficult for me to gain their trust and respect, but when you're confident in what you do, it, it does happen and it can happen. You just got to go through with your beliefs and you've got to go through with, um, uh, with, with communication really. And, and uh, in the end, it, it all became well, it all became good. And I really enjoyed that stint on the grass, but the difficult thing I suppose was the, was them seeing me as the SNC coach, as opposed to the analyst. That was the difficult thing. I had to convince them with, uh, with my knowledge and, and with the sessions and, and fingers crossed, I think I did that. And what do you think their, that was pressure, but. <laughs> No, what do you think their views were on that then? Were they expecting you to be away from the grass? And when you stepped onto the grass, it was something that they weren't used to, weren't expecting. And how did you go about developing that buying? Because we talk about buying and relationships and communication loads, but as a specific example, obviously disclose whatever you want to disclose and don't what you don't don't what you don't want to cover. But it'd just be interesting to tap into that to see that how that relationship changed from um, them not accepting it initially to creating that buying and trust? Yeah, well, I think, to, to be honest, your, your character and your personality plays a big part. Um, if you can get, in the first instance, if you can conduct a safe session and an enjoyable session immediately, and, if you, and for me, it came down to some real basics, like, can I demo what I'm doing in the warm-up? Can I demo what I'm doing with the ball? Uh, am I going to make an idiot of myself? Um, and I, and I could do that reasonably well. I'm not the best, best footballer by any stretch of the imagination, but, you know, I, I could do that. And I think that that in itself, they warmed to me that way. I mean, I, you know, I, I'd known a lot of them through good times and bad times in, in terms of our success on the pitch and, and off the pitch. Um, so pick players like Danny Butterfield were really important. Sean Derry, um, Andrew Johnson, uh, all these players and, and he, you know, to Dougie Friedman, uh, you know, Clinton Morrison, the big characters, you suddenly 
spend time with them one-on-one and, and, and you can tell them how you're going to benefit them. And that's, that's what I did. I spent a lot of time convincing them to, to some to take this route in, in SNC. Come and do these um, uh, prescription exercises. We had players like uh, Jose Fonte, who was, who was excellent as well for us at the time, who, who was, um, arrived from Portugal and had a different, uh, a different approach to SNC than, than the English players, for sure. Um, he was in the gym, prehab, and all these things that, were, that are now to a penny. They weren't necessarily back in the day. So introducing them and having buy-in early from, from the likes of Jose Fonte was really important. And um, I think if you can control the session, and, and I hate to use this word, but you've got likability, it, it helps. Um, I hate to use that word, but in the, the first instance, it helps. It really does. And then, of course, you've got to have a strong, a, a strong staff. And, and I think my first preseason was um, we were due to go to, to America with, with uh, Crystal Palace. It was all sorted. And then... Neil being Neil uh, changes it to, to Cornwall. And anyone who's worked with Neil will know that uh, he lives in Lou. Um, so uh, two weeks has changed within two weeks. So Keith Carroll phones me up and says, uh, we've changed everything. Don't worry, don't have, to, don't have to organize anything. It's all sorted, but we're going to Cornwall. And I'm thinking, right, okay, this is my first preseason. I've really got to impress. And honestly, we turn up and we turn up on school pitches that are like that. But that's the sort of level of gradient we've got. And I'm trying to think, right, I've got to get in this first week, I've got to build up their, 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 their extensive endurance and so on and so forth. I'm thinking, I'll just go up and down that hill. <laughs> that will work. But the grass was really long. And then the gaffer turns up halfway through the session. He turns up in his Morgan convertible, um, you know, driving in, waving at us. And I'm thinking, I'm really not going to, what am I going to do here? How am I going to get these guys on side? But to be fair, strong stuff matters uh, and Keith Kerr was excellent with me and he's excellent with the players you know Keith gave me the backing um, and, and the players respected Keith Curl enough to know that if Keith Curl said get on with it with Louis get in the gym with Louis you're doing it so uh, and and of course no one no one went against the gaffer either so a strong gaffer with a, a good a good hold and respect from the players will help you as a practitioner and it helped me in that instant massively because they, they kind of had to do had to do it then they had to yeah to do the sessions with me and we had a good group to be honest and I'm really lucky with that we had a really good group that could manage themselves and boss themselves and they wanted to get better which is which is key um if you've got that you know and you can recruit well that's that's the key to it so that helped me massively yeah and then was the was the intention always to go into academia because we we had a little bit of, a bit of a chat before we started recording. There seems to be a bit of a trend at the moment. I don't know whether it's just me that sees it of coaches coming out of the game or out of full time football, should I say, and um, got either going into academia full time or um, doing some part time work like like you do. I know it's a, a full time league um, and probably feels like a, a full time job <laughs> sometimes as well, but um, a part time club. Yeah, I mean, I can see it happening more. Uh, I think, uh, I hate to say it's a young person's game um, uh, as, as, a, as an early practitioner, but there are chances you'll get burnt out. There really are. Um, you've got to manage your time um, as a practitioner and your health and your mental well-being better than probably I did. I remember sleeping in my car um, at Crystal Palace because I, I couldn't afford to stay up there and, and still have a property back here, which um, my partner and children were, were in. So it was a case of how do I make this work? And yes, you've got to do that in football, but th- th- there comes a point in time where you don't have to continue doing that. And I think, I think most people jump from, from full-time football or full-time sports practitioner into academia because it's less stressful. 
it's more uh, there's more safety within it. Um, you know, you're not likely to lose your job. Uh, you don't have to necessarily travel the globe. And and if I'm honest, the transition's really easy. It's working with young people, which you do anyway. Um, it's coaching and teaching. There's commonalities throughout. So I just think it's a natural transition. Um, and I would encourage anybody that's thinking about, um, you know, maybe they're getting to their to the end of their um, their enjoyment, their fulfilment within a football club or, or any other sports club to, to have a look at academia because you get the same challenges, which are really great. You get the same dynamics sometimes, you know, with the young people and sharing their journey. For me, I, you know, I believe in the, the social cultural aspect of, of learning. I want to be on their journey. I want to interact, you know, uh, I want to problem solve in authentic ways. So for me, academia allows you to do that. And also, you don't necessarily get the chance to, to fulfill your uh, educational needs or your desires within education. We want to better ourselves. You don't necessarily get the chance in a football club to do that. The time is difficult. Whereas for me, I, I wanted to pursue a PhD. I wanted to, uh, to, to better understand pedagogy. So for me, it just it was a natural shift uh, towards academia. And I think others will, will, will take that leap. Um, but I don't think they'll leave. If they've got anything like me, they won't leave uh, sport full time because I think you need to have a foot in both camps to, to understand the, the nuances of, of change, you know, this new generation of, of, of uh, practitioners or of footballers, of sports people. Uh, you've kind of got to be in it. You leave it for a long time and uh, you can. You, and I don't think that's a, a good way to, to teach students. I think you need to be in it and walk it, breathe it uh, to be able to translate. Just my opinion. Yeah, and obviously I've seen a lot of the great work that you guys are doing down at Solar and I've seen the recent partnership with Southampton and obviously some of the practitioners that have worked down there as well, including people like Chris Neville. So you're still involved with a lot of people and the game, aren't you? Like It's not as if you've stepped away from the game regardless of the work you're doing at Weymouth. Like you're still involved. Yeah, I think that's, um, I think for many, that's a great way to do it. And let, let's think if we, we still want the, the environment, we still want the enjoyment of working in football because it's a great, it's a great environment. It really is. When it's going well, it's, it's a great environment. And, and, and that's what I tell the students, you know, get in sport because sport can take you wherever you want to go um, with a bit of luck. Uh, but you meet some great people um, and it's, it's enjoyable. Competition's great. Um, but I think if you can put your foot in and, and come out, I mean, that's great. Hey, the stress is removed. You go in a new set of eyes. Um, you get to help and mentor new practitioners, young practitioners. You get to just step back because when you're an SNC or an analyst or a coach or a technical coach, you're immersed in it. You don't necessarily see what you're doing or, or hear what you're doing or have time for reflection. Whereas we can step in and, and we can we can be honest and open and reflect and and and, uh, and, and then step away again. I mean that's brilliant. <laughs> step in and step out as a consultant whatever you want to call it these days is is fantastic and I think clubs clubs will thrive off that I can see that being taken um, in earnest I really can you know I think that's a way to to get experience the way to get education the way to get new innovative approaches into into a, a club environment and what, what's your views? We didn't talk about this before, but I'm just gonna I'm just gonna ask you anyway. In terms of some of the practitioners that, or future practitioners that you guys are seeing coming through the university programs, what's the what's the standard like? What's the sort of um, areas maybe they feel like they need to develop? I know you might not be able to go into too much detail, <laughs> but 
what generally, and not just at, at Solon, but um, maybe your time in full-time football, some of the people that you, you see can't come into the game. I'm just thinking for people listening that are in that position, maybe advice on where they should focus their, whether it's um, education or their ta- available time and experiences. For me, I mean, I always tell the students the same thing. You have to, you have to get in the environment. You've got to be within it to understand it. Um, I can tell you what it's like, but you need to feel it and experience it. Um, and everybody wants an internship. Everybody wants work experience. Everybody wants a placement, and I mean everybody. Um, so you've got to be, you've got to offer something slightly different. You can't just want something from a football club. So I've been on both sides of the fence. Uh, I've looked for, uh, I've advertised and recruited internships as a a football club and I've also been the other side where I've tried to uh, get student internship placements at a club so I can see it from both angles Um, and for me the ones that stand out and stand out well are those that haven't sat on the backside uh, and just gone and shifted through their degree and got to the end of it and thought I need to do this now but they've approached it they've they've taken ownership of it and said I can do this I can offer this um, and analysis is a really easy one to, to go into because if you can't, if you haven't had any experience of coding, um, if you can't feedback, if you don't know Naxport or Sports Code or Huddle or Y Scout, forget it because everybody will have that, that, that. And every football club will want someone who can code and edit and capture. And they'll be able to feedback. And instantly you've got someone to work with. And that's the key to have somebody to work with. Internships, mentoring. It's about a relationship and it's got to work for both angles. You know, uh, as a practitioner, I'm not, I, I take them in at Weymouth. We had a great one in Sam Cook uh, last year who's gone on to Bristol City now. You know, he was hungry, asking questions all the time. Can I help? Can I do this? And it's not me he's got to impress sometimes. It's the players in the gaffer. Um, so he's, you know, he would run around, collect balls. He would put cones out. Is there anything I want? He would ask questions all the time. And you think, cones balls is that significant in the first two weeks yes it is because you know what this guy's making an impression he cares he he wants to be part of it he's asking questions he's doing things that aren't necessarily related to s and c uh, uh, but he's helping us and that's key you've got to be able to help the the the, the football club i think and in turn uh, you get access to all these quality disciplines and quality practitioners and experienced practitioners ask questions for christ's sake ask questions and don't limit, for me, don't limit yourself. And it's, it kind of links into my transitional period, I think, in different, different disciplines. Don't limit yourself as an s coach. Go and speak to the recruitment side. Go and speak to the coaching side, the technical aspect. What do you need to know to make you uh, employable, to make you better? Um, uh, and I think it, you have to know all the departments. You really do to make you, you've got to know their language, their, uh, their processes, you don't have to go into depth, but you've got to know where they're coming from when you're sitting around a, around a table and discussing player development, player welfare, uh, programming. You've got to know where each discipline is coming from. The only way to do that is to, to immerse yourself within it. Um, yeah, a few, a few people have mentioned that before in terms of utilising like the staff that are around you at a club, because essentially there are loads of diverse staff in different roles and it's probably an underused area isn't it that you look around like the the club and think I I could take a lot from that person or that person even if they're in completely different roles yeah absolutely and I mean I think 
we may be guilty in, in uh, it's getting better in, in academia. The last couple of years, you see it, it's really good. We're, we're, we're now using the applied uh, applied sort of environment for, for assessment for argument's sake. So we align our curriculum uh, and we get authentic assessment through things that they would need to do at a football club. So no one leaves Solon, and I dare say it's the same for most um, um, HE establishments. Nobody leaves here without having understood how to operate a VO2 max test or go and, uh, or, or go and do uh, counter-movement jump tests or code via sports code. They all leave with a with something they can take into a, a sport and arena, which is which is crucial, I think. That's the key to it in, in academia. You've got to have the theory, but you've got to be able to go, how do we apply this? And the only way to do that is to teach it um, and to give authentic assessment, I believe. So... Uh, in answer to your question, I think if we, we, we throw it back a little bit, um, you'll see lots more practitioners in, in in academia for that specific reason, to give students the tools they need to go and work outside of uh, or, grad, or when, once they've graduated. And that's crucial. And if you can get, I, I mean, my, it's Dom Haynes, he called it pracademic. I know others have jumped on it, but it was the first person that, that told me about being a pracademic, which is obviously being practical and, and academic and combining the two. Uh, and I think that's what we do very well at our institution. Um, and I think it's important that we, we, we have that. We have the theory and, and the research and the understanding of uh, and learning, great. But take that, shove it in there, and, and let's, let's have the whole package. And I think you'll see now as well, football clubs are, are now getting PhD students internships. They're, they're looking at research. I know uh, Will Abbott is, is, is very big on it at Brighton. He was actually an intern at Southampton when I was at the football club. Um, and it's great to see him move on and bring research to the table from uh, from clubs who, who sort of five or six years ago, that was a no-no. It wasn't happening, was it? Everything was, this is mine, uh, you know, and I'm keeping it. And this is our competitive advantage. It generally isn't. Most football clubs do... 90% the same things. Um, uh, and it's that little 10% that, that, that can help others and, and, and improve their, their practice, which is key. Uh, and I think, you know, kudos to Will and, and everybody else that's um, in there researching in that applied arena and, and feeding back into, into academia. And then talking about being a pracademic, <laughs> how, how's the transition from full-time football I'm going to say part-time football with a pinch of salt, but you know what I mean. <laughs> Into yeah, yeah. your current role with Weymouth, how, how's that transition been for you? Well, it's um, it, it's kind of it, it it rolls into one actually. I don't think you can be. This is only my opinion. I don't think I can be a a good educator in a in a, um, a higher education institution unless I'm still walking the walk or talking the talk, walking the walk, whatever you want to call it. So for me, they combine. And, and with Weymouth, it's um, we're, we are a part-time football club, but we are a professional part-time football club in, in, in our processes and our beliefs. And uh, so we, we only have contact time on a Tuesday evening and a Thursday evening. And obviously we play on a Saturday against the likes of Stockport, Chesterfield, Torquay, Yeovil, you know, big football clubs that have been in the championship, League One, League Two, big crowds, everything. Um, the, the club really shouldn't be there, but great kudos that they are. And we're going to remain there now because, you know, through, through, through the great work of uh, the teams before and the players before. But the transition is a case of it's a Tuesday night. It's a Thursday night. So is that doable in an academic's life? Yes, it is. Um, it's, a, it's a club that makes it makes it doable. Um, so for me, the transition was fairly comfortable. Have I got the time to do it? Yes. 
Um, do I want to do it? Yes. Have I got the knowledge to do it? Yes. And that's kind of where it came came to. Um, we use students. We, we we make sure that there's a link between the two, which is important uh, for, for uh, Solent as well, as well as Weymouth. So we've just taken on our, our physio, which is a graduate from Solent, you know, Charlie, which is great for us. So we're identifying new staff as we go, which is a win-win. Um, and uh, I dare say our, our previous analyst who's just left actually uh, was there for three years, was an excellent student. So it's a process that works. It's savvy um, and it's good. So for me, that it's just, you've just got to time manage it. That's the crucial aspect. Um, that's the real difficult one, being organized and time manage that appropriately. And in academia, there are tough times. There are um, there are times when you're in front of your screen and you're marking and you're feeding back to students. And if you've got a course that's got lots of students on, you know, 200 odd students, then your time is, you know, they want. And in this day and age, it's a consumer market. They want even more. Um, so you've got to be able to, to, to time manage and you've got to be able to organize. And, you know, being the age I am, I've experienced that and how to do that. And it's, a, it's, a, it's just something that if you want to be in both, you've got to be able to do it. Just a very quick update on our online community. Anyone that's not aware, we have an online platform available for coaches. And we've got a number of different practitioners on the platform um, right across the world of football, to be honest. So we've got coaches from the Football League, the Premier League, all sorts of European leagues um, and over in the MLS as well. So if you want to join the community and see what it's all about, you can get a month free. You can check out all the webinars, the presentations, some of the partner discounts we have available on the community by going to footballfitfair.com, clicking the community tab and going through the sign up process there. That will give you one month free. After that free month, it is only £4.99 per month going forward after that. You'll get continued access to everything that's currently available on the community as well as all future webinars, presentations, and some really exciting content we've got coming forward as well. So go and check it out. If you're not already a member, go and join the coaches that are. Go to footballfitfed.com, click the community tab, and sign up there. Here's part two of the podcast with Louis Langdown. And what was like the initial approach going into the club? Because obviously time becomes an issue, doesn't it, in terms of uh, contact time with the players. So... Um, we've talked, I had Elliot Turner on not long ago and Jake Simpson and other people that are, that are involved in so-called part-time programmes. Um, and it's just interesting, like the approach that you take. So have you gone in with certain non-negotiables or certain principles that you wanted to put into play with the players and then sort of seen what was left in terms of time to see what else you can do? Like, what was your approach first going in? Uh, well, our first approach was, with, uh, believe it or not, we don't have a training ground. Um, so that's the, that's the hard thing with players when you don't have a base. So we have a, a school uh, 4G pitch from 8 till 10 in the evening. Now, we went in there working on the premise that we are we are leaving at half nine, gentlemen. So we are going to do this session here and our transitions have to be quick in our setup. So one thing that Gaff has been brilliant at and, and our staff are great at is the transition organised from one to the other. So we maximise what we do on our nights that we do it. So we are full on. Uh, and I mean full on uh, from, from eight when we actually get on the pitch. We can't go on it one minute to eight. It has to be eight. So we're ready. We're on schedule. The non-negotiables are you work hard from eight till 9.30 and we will finish at 9.30. Um, and we'll, obviously we collect our data through, uh, we have GPS and so on and so forth. And our sessions are geared around maximizing that. So Tuesdays and Thursdays are, are the, the boys know the schedule. Monday is, is generally a Zoom 
and a recovery, which we put into the players. So we, we program it, they, they go off. Everybody has to have a gym membership. Uh, that's part of the signing on. So they have to have their own gym, which is great. And, and to be honest, all of them buy into it because they want to be here, which is really good. Uh, last year was a bit different because we inherited the team. Uh, we inherited a double winning promotion team. So, uh, and we came in two, two, three weeks before the season started. So pre-season was done realistically. We just had to uh, sort of come in and manage it as best we could. Um, and slowly but surely, we've now got f- players. I would say we've probably got four players that have been in and around our 16 that, that, are, that maybe start, that are workers and uh, footballers. Last year, probably 10. So we've halved it with through recruitment to get players that can train full time, although we are a part time model. So on a Wednesday, um, we may have a small working group of those full time footballers uh, that come in. Uh, so we get a little bit of extra contact time. But a lot of stuff is done online. Um, and we the non-negotiables are that we travel right and we do things right. So even if you're a worker like last year, you're booking the away days. We travel on a Friday. We we, we prepare right. We get coached. We eat in the, in the hotel together. We do analysis. So we do all our bits um, that that will ensure that we've got a chance of competing in this league. Um, so our contact time remains the same, and that's been difficult uh, because you know you look at the nutrition aspect. We train at a school that, that has a changing room and a pitch. You know, canteen, you know, players bring protein shakes, players bring food, um, players hydrate themselves. And, you know, they're the non-negotiables that the, the players know what's happening, know what's coming, and they they treat it with the respect it deserves to be recovered for the following day. Um, so they're the types of things that, that, that are on board. Everybody's doing gym sessions regardless. You know, they've all got programs, but we do a squad one and, and that's a non-negotiable um so we have processes in place to be able to compete really and if we took any of those away we would struggle um without without a doubt because we're up against full-time teams that train every day but um we i would say now we we have full-time footballers which is brilliant for us um you know i don't want to be detrimental to but but and talk about contracts but we're evolving as we move um this year is the only year that we've started to sort of look at the off-season and, and reward the players. Off-season wasn't rewarded. Pre-season wasn't rewarded. You're, the, the first day of the season is when you got paid. And the last day of the season is when you stopped getting paid. Now, if you're a professional, that's a difficult thing to, to find sort of tw- you know, 10, 10 or so weeks, 12 weeks with no income. So we, we're trying to, 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 to remodel it and make it better, but uh, we'll never compete financially. But we will compete with giving them in the best environment we can in a part-time world. And if there was a bit more time available or resources available, what would be the sort of go-tos? I know you mentioned there about recovery and canteen and the food and everything. Would that be what you'd want to add to the programme or would there be other aspects that you'd you'd want to add? I think for us at the moment, it, it, would, it would be to have our own, our own home. Uh, I think that's the key uh, to, to moving forward because we're, we borrow places at the moment um, and that's not ideal. Although we've we've got we're in a school at the moment in Camford School, which is where, funnily enough, where when I worked at AFC Bournemouth, that was our training base uh, at the school, and that's fantastic. Got a pool, got a gym, got grass pitches. You know all the things that you need to to, to have a very good program. Um, so that's perfect. And I think for us, it's about finding uh, a location at the right cost that we can do that. Uh, and we can have everything, you know, in, uh, in terms of uh, prehab, um, 
in, in terms of a conditioning area, in terms of a studio, in terms of a, a pitch, you know, which everybody takes for granted. You know, you don't have a football pitch to train on, you know, you're footballers. So uh, these things are, you know, taken, taken as, a, as a given. Um, for us, it's about being cute and being clever with where we are. And if, if it means adapting and changing, you know, we only actually go to Weymouth on match days. Uh, we actually train in Bournemouth because it's easier for the players to, 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 to be and it's a venue. So we have to think about that and be quite clever and cute with how we um the location of where we are and certainly to attract players. But um, one thing we have done and, and it's been quite quite successful that the manager managed to get a, a house uh, for those. So we can, our recruitment can be further afield now. So we used to we used to have players that were kind of limited geographically because we train on a Tuesday and a Thursday evening. Now with a uh, with a, uh, a house you know we had six in it last year a very big house the club rent it which is great and the players can stay there and, and make it full-time so when we have loan players they can make it full-time um, so they can add that we had that extra Wednesday morning into it so we're evolving as we go to get extra contact time through things like renting a house uh, something that the club probably wouldn't have thought of you know two years ago but it's it, with it being in this league it's a relative it's a requirement now that we have access to, to you know to a wider pool of players than, than, than the limited sort of geographic elements that we had before and it's worked very well so that's you know that's a stepping stone Ben definitely yeah yeah definitely and and it's interesting hearing things like that isn't it because it's possibly things you don't think about so much when you're not in that that part-time um, environment isn't it but yeah. it's running as a, as a full-time environment as well because you're talking about standards and things that you're putting into play with the players there and I'm guessing, I obviously don't know the, the lads, but a lot of players at that sort of level are looking to play above, aren't they, anyway? So um, you are, you're trying to prepare them for that, aren't you? Yeah, yeah. I mean, we pick up, we obviously pick up players that have been released from academies and so on. Uh, our skipper, Josh McCoy, has been there and done it at championship level, uh, you know, and he's an international. So he drives standards, which is yeah. important. Um, and everybody that comes in, you know, Brian, the manager is an ex-Doncaster player and Welsh international. He drives standards. I've been around the block in, in, in the Premier League, Championship League One, League Two. We we understand what it takes to get to the next level. Um, and, you know, we, we had one player last year that's moved on to, to League One. He came with us for 26 games, hadn't played. Jacob Metzer hadn't played football for a long, long time. Uh, a young lad, centre half. And, you know, I think he'd be the first to, to say that we've developed him and, and allowed him to move on to a uh, to, to uh, Morecambe you know he's jumped up a couple of leagues and that's that's perfect for us that's yeah. an ideal situation and an ideal scenario do we want to keep players yes we do but if there's a possibility to move them on and upwards then we will um, uh, and it's important that you it's important that your environment's right everybody talks about culture you look at the Lions it's all about culture you look at Man United it's about culture everything's about culture and the environment and setting it right and if you get that then one, players will want to come to you, which is ideal for us. You know, they, we want the phone to go. Uh, we don't want to have to necessarily go and recruit them and find them. We want them to, to, to come to us. And in football, word of mouth is massive. Um, you know, players talk all the time. Uh, I listened to uh, um, at the radio yesterday, actually. I think it was yesterday before. And um, they were talking about Sean Dyche and his mentality around certain things. And he said, misery loves a best friend. And it's true, you know, in football, like if something's not quite right, you'll talk to someone and they love that. Uh, but conversely, if it's right, they'll talk to people too. Uh, and that's the crucial element. Word of mouth will tell you that uh, Brian Stark, Louis Langdon, Weymouth Football Club are trying to do things the right way. Um, and their training is good or bad. 
you know, um, their, their, their methods are great or not so great. So we've got to make sure that, that the word is great and not so great. So that drives us, I think, um, massively. Yeah. And has there been any surprises for you, like either pleasant surprises or not so pleasant in terms of going uh, into that environment? Yes and no. I kind of knew it was going to be difficult, but I didn't realise that we, 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 it's quite a nice thing. We all muck in. It's quite a nice thing. All the players muck in, the, the staff muck in. Uh, you wouldn't believe some of the the things that, that, we, that we need to do and have to do. I mean, we, we've got a kit man in who's brilliant and he's actually remodeling our change rooms this so the kit man is is i don't want to be detrimental but it's not a paid position um but he's unbelievable he is 24 7 he's building he's remodeled our changing rooms this is the kit man that you would assume collects a kit cleans a kit travels and and does everything he's built he's built all all new cupboards and all new change room facilities he's forever uploading pictures on WhatsApp of ground improvements that he's done. He's 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 the guy that's on there getting nutritional supplements. We're like, oh, thanks, thanks, Greener. Um, I mean, he's unbelievable, but that's the type of level you need at this, this football club, people that are going to go up above and beyond. Um, and because apart from the manager, we all the rest of us are full-time employees of another uh, establishment. Um, so we have to muck in, which is great. I expected that to be the case and, and what it is. The thing that I didn't expect was uh, that the level of fitness and commitment that I, I get from them. I thought we were going to have a difficult time in making these players fit, but yeah. we're not. We're not yeah. at all. You know, they're, they're, this day and age, they, there isn't a footballer, in terms of our recruitment and what we've inherited, there isn't, there isn't a player there that, 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 that you would classify as needs, needs a lot. You know, they're, they're fit. They're fit players, mm. football fit which is fantastic. It gave, it gave us a real good foundation to move forward from. And I, I found it's fairly easy. The ones that can't do it naturally uh, disappear. They naturally, they, they can see it. In, in, you know what it's like in a football environment, Ben, in training, if you're continuously the lowest uh, in terms of the fitness ability and you're the lowest in terms of running meters, high intensity meters and so on, and you're breathing out your backside, it's not just you that notices everybody else notices yeah but you know so a lot of people take it upon themselves to say this isn't for me which is which is uh which was a surprise for me because in football you try and stay as high as you can for as long as you can generally whereas some of these players have said i you know this i can see that i've not quite got this um and that was a surprise to me it wasn't what you know we've not had to ask people to leave and and, and have those horrible conversations they've kind of looked it and saw I just can't physically do this. So I'm going to step down a level or two and, and carry on with my football career. So that was a, that was a surprise. And, and, and the nice surprise is that players are, you know, they're physically fit, which is nice. It gives a good, good, good start point. Um, so, yeah. And they're open to things, you know, things like analysis, you know, um, you know, we've got full-time analysts, which is great. Um, and they're open to it. They want to see it. They want to know about themselves, which is, which is ideal for us to, to be able to, give good feedback to be able to give task specific um, roles and responsibilities to players as well. And they can manage themselves and look on that. We, we have huddle so they can look at clips, open conversations with, with staff and players around, actually, I, maybe I should have done that. What do you think? Is my body positioning wrong? So on and so forth. We've got a group that, that, um, that cares about improvement and, and, and wants to do their best for the club, which is ideal. That has to come from the top down, doesn't it? Like you said before about culture, yeah. that if that isn't in place at the top, whether it's owner, manager, whoever, then that sort of thing doesn't happen, does it? And I'm sure there's many other clubs, not mentioning any names, but at the similar sort of level that don't 
that don't have that like in place, do they? Like, uh, it, ju it just sounds like the culture is, is there and whether that's been developed since you guys have got there or whether that was there before and it's something that you guys have sort of lifted again, like it's, it definitely has to come from the top. Yeah, I, I, it has to. You're right. It, you know, if, you, if, the, if the standards aren't there from, from, from the, the guy or girl at the top, you, you're going to struggle. I mean, it's clear when it's wrong, it's wrong. And the players can see that. And that's great as well. You know, when the players can see that something's wrong, you know, it, I'm not going to talk about past regime because they've had loads of success, you know, they're fantastic. But, you know, all I can talk about is, is, is when we went in there and, and, and how we tried to, um, how we tried to set up our training and, and our enthusiasm to train. The, the key is that the players want to train. Um, and, and I found that as a, going back to your other question, actually, Ben, that's a, that's a key. Sometimes in full-time football, it's, it's the same thing over and over again. Oh, we're in Monday recovery. Oh, and the lads that didn't play push them a little bit more and then Tuesday game prep maybe we'll do a little bit of game prep or we just report to the game then Wednesday maybe off then Thursday whatever model you're, you're doing um, we found that you only realistically lose maybe a day in a, in a competitive calendar for us in that week you probably only lose a day and you know what when they arrive because they've lost that day over a consecutive number of weeks they actually want to train and they're energised to train um, which I found quite surprising, you know, although with limited contact time compared to full-time footballers, there isn't this, oh, we're back here type thing that you can get in any football club. You know, when you look at the dynamics of how football is with the subs, the, not, the lads that haven't signed another contract, the ones the gaffer wants out and so on and so forth, there can, can be difficult times. And certainly if it's monotonous or it becomes Oh, I'm back at the football club. I only felt like I was here yesterday and, oh, we're doing this again. You don't want that. And we don't generally get that, um, which is great. It's a real surprise because, you know, you, you, I think a lot of them was their escape as well from work back last year when they were working. It's like, I'm in football. I've got work. I'm an estate agent. I'm a chimney sweep. I'm a plumber. Um, no disrespect to all those trades. Um, but, you know, it's not quite the same as playing football with your friends and, and, and getting better. Um, so I think... That's a pleasant surprise, the fact that when they turn up at eight o'clock, they're like, bam, I want to play, I want to train, I want to enjoy this, I want to get the maximum out of it, uh, which is nice. So we, we haven't really had any major issues, even when we, last year, it was a difficult time for us, COVID, difficult time for us in terms of performances until January, you know, we were in the bottom three and it was, it was hard graft. Um, we still had people turning up and enjoying the sessions, although the stress of, you know, knowing where we are, the realities of being third from bottom in the league at the time. Uh, but we still had the commitment, the energy, the enjoyment. And sometimes that was difficult because we're like, did we lose it the weekend? Yes, we did. <laughs> how, have we got, how have we got an enjoyable atmosphere? And, uh, you know, for me, that's difficult because, um, uh, you know, coming in there, you're going, come on, come on, you lot. We, you know, do you not care about the result? But to be honest, even on the coach on the way back, there's an hour, there's an hour and a half, and you're like down a little bit, you're in the dumps. And then it's, uh, we look at each other going, right, let's go and let's just get the mood up a little bit now. Yeah, you know, nothing we can do. We can train. We've got to get it right. We've got to put it behind us and move forward. And I think the lads do that very well. That you know, and I think that's a big surprise for me that that you know, even though you you're losing sometimes, you know, for you know three four games on the spin, you know, in games but losing, and you come to training and there's still a good feel about it. Uh, uh, and I think that's that's crucial to, to to move forward for any side that's in that sort of bottom half of the table and, 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 and uh, uh, punching above their weight to be able to do that is crucial and that's one thing I've learned this group can do that and uh, by by hook or by crook or by trial or an error we, we've managed to allow that to happen which is great and uh, we won't be changing that 
I think it's what you hear from a lot of like real high performing teams though as well, isn't it? Not getting too high with the wins and not getting too low with the losses. Like there seems to be like a consistency there and always reverting back to, not reverting back to type, but you know what I mean? In, in terms of keeping yeah. consistent throughout a season. Um, yeah. So th- there's a, it sounds like there's an element of that going on as well in, in terms of the, not the result not mattering because that's not the case at all, is it? But you revert yeah. back to what you do and yeah. you do it consistently. Yeah, I mean, you've, we've got to make it enjoyable, and I think you're right. You've got to do, you've got to do what you're good at, and do that consistently well. And 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 we are a bit about team spirit. We have to be uh, when you lose games and when you uh, and around that relegation zone and the stress of it. You know, you've got to be able to still think, how am I doing this? How am I going to get this right? How am I going to get it right for the next game? How do we wipe that two-one loss in the last minute? Um, uh, on a Tuesday night, go to work on a Wednesday, get up and be ready to go again on a Thursday. Um, if it's not an enjoyable environment, then it's going to be hard to get people to work um, at the level we need them to work. Yeah, definitely. Just before we jump on to some of the quick fire questions on the end, Louis, I was going to ask, I just thought I would put this one in just because it's, it's quite relevant at the moment in terms of the Olympics. Um, I don't know how much you've watched of it, but I just thought it'd be interesting just to see if you if you, you have watched any of, of the Olympics and also if there's any sort of takeaways and reflections maybe on your time in full-time football and even your role now, looking at some of the Olympic sports and the way they they act, they prepare, um, maybe the coaching. Is there anything that sort of stands out for you um, in, in the experience of, of watching what the, the athletes are doing over there at the moment? I'll, I'll, I'll watch any sport and... Um... To be honest, my, my, my younger daughter, she's not the most sporty or interested in sports, but we've been staying up late and watching the Olympics and we've been loving it. And the triathlon, absolutely loving the triathlon. Um, you know, the false start made me giggle a little bit and I thought, how do they get over that? And then you think, well, how good was that? Oh, brilliant. I was like, really? How's that happened? They've had, they've had years and years to practice this and, and, and that's happened. And then you put yourself in their position and think, how do I get over that false start, get back out the water? Well, you've kind of only got that one event to worry about. So you, you've got to. Um, and I think for me, sports psychology is something that's underestimated. You know, I, I used to say that the sports psychology sort of emanates from the top, you know. Neil Warnock was brilliant at it without, I don't know whether he knew he was good at it, but he was brilliant at it. So I assume he knew he was good at it because he continued it. Um, so uh, for me, sports psychology is, is, is a huge area and you can see it in the Olympics all over. Football's not, not quite there yet. You know, we bounce off each other in a team of 25 and, you know, there's that camaraderie and things like that. And, and you can get away with a certain element of clouding what's gone wrong um, and, and making jokes out of it yourself or with other people. Whereas, in the Olympics, I mean, it's there, it's do or die, um, which I, I've absolutely loved it. And learning new sports is great. Uh, and, you, and you think, I, I remember watching the, tri, uh, the triathletes and um, a, a great British one, Le Month, I think it was, was in front in the swim. What a swim, 20 seconds behind the, the men's time in the swim in horrendous conditions. You think, wow, this is, the, you know, the, the bit between the teeth. And then you watch it all unfold and, and, um, and Taylor Brown ends up getting a puncture, but free wheels it. And, and I was thinking, right, is that design? Was that design or, or, or was that by chance? Did she just freewheel it or was she going to change at a certain point in the tyre? And I was thinking, right, I want to hear what she's saying about this at the end. So I uh, kind of intrigued as to, to what she did it. But that was instinct for her. Great interview. The three of them come together at the end and there was genuine love and compassion for each of them. And they're competing against each other. Weird. I found that weird. 
at, but, but lovely. I thought, right, these are competitors, but they've actually got a team ethic about them, um, which is really good. I know there's a relay event. I'm not the biggest triathlete um, uh, going and, and my knowledge of triathlon is, isn't great, but I know there's a relay. So there has to be a team ethic involved in it. Um, but for me, Olympic sports is that individual element to it. And it's like, uh, I, you know, you versus somebody else. And, and I, I've always found that really fascinating, that dichotomy there of just like, like it's just us. Uh, and I've got a trainer, I've got a coach, all these things, but it's, it's do or die situation. And how do we overcome? I think for me, watching the Olympics, you have tactics that change and evolve during the, the event. And I find that fascinating absolutely fascinating how do they change is there a design to this new strategy or is there a tactic they've they've uh, understood and need to, to evolve and move but some weird and wonderful events mate and I've, I've absolutely loved them for for me I think the more you can learn from other, other sports the better and I tell that to the students all the time um, the processes that you might have for, in terms of being improving force or, or making yourself more flexible or understanding tactics or, or giving yourself the, the capacity to run in a, as a wing back in football and, and giving yourself the ability to do that. Yeah, great. They're all processes. We can, we can transcend them. I knew nothing about diving. I mean, we spoke before about my work at the EIS. I knew nothing about platform diving and springboard diving, but that was irrelevant. I knew, I knew that I knew how to train somebody to ensure that they were uh, meet the game demands of their sport but I knew nothing about diving and I actually loved learning about it on the spot, their psyches, their characters, the coaching element that, you know, it's kind of, it's such a different culture to, to football. And I think if we can take anything away from it, it is immerse yourself in another sport, go, go and find another sport, another culture. Boxing is fascinating as well. The, the amount of times I've had difficulty trying to tell a boxer not to go on these long, long 10 K runs at a methodical plod. And, and then they say, yeah, but that's how we lose weight. No, it's not, pal. It's not. It really isn't. It's not the most effective way. And then listening to, to, to guys in the EIS sort of say, well, the psyche is in boxing that you do long runs. And it gives you the, the tools to in the, in the dying rounds to get through it. And you go, right, OK, so we've got to weigh this up now. Yeah. I know physiologically it's the wrong thing to do. But, but psychologically, if the guys think it, then we'll introduce it. But we'll introduce yeah. it in the program where it doesn't really affect our day or it doesn't affect the other elements of the training that we want to do. So being able to, to take the history and the culture of the sport and, and allow these things to happen for some of these athletes so they feel like this is the right thing and it doesn't affect your training aims and objectives. I think it's a really cool thing and a really good thing and, and it's, it's, it's a unique thing to each sport. Um, so for me, to take it away from football, it's, you know what, you don't have to be in football to, to, to help football clubs and help football players you can go and find some other information some great techniques uh, and, and some cool ideas and bring it back to football and i think yeah. we should be doing that football tends to have all the income all the money all the all the resources but doesn't always have the most innovative approach and i'm not saying innovative is the way forward you know we I, I think you can go back 10 years now people are going back to old ways of doing things and going actually this is a really cool way yeah there, there was nothing wrong with this but we changed it because someone else did a model that was successful um so i'm not saying in is always the way but it's great to have something slightly different uh from, from a different culture a different aspect and bring it to support what you're trying to do yeah it's being open-minded but at the same time critically thinking isn't it like not yeah. just putting something in play because it is, it is going to look innovative or it's going to look different. But if you critically think about it and you want to, you, yeah. you think I, it fits I, at the right time. Yeah. 
I always think about this with the with the uh, activation work when the Therabands came out. I can't even remember the day it came out, but one team did it, and I think it was either Man City or somebody in the Champions League, and they did it, and then everybody a week later was doing <laughs> yeah. it on the pitch, the glute band. Forget the fact that you've been using the, the, the mini bands in your own change room yeah. activating anyway before you come out, but it was the thing to do. It was the same thing to do, so everyone got in their circle with their activation bands and probably over-activated everything on their lower limb, but uh, there you go. It was the thing to do, and, and you latch onto it because it was successful, but you've got to be a little bit better than that, maybe, yeah. um, than just than just jumping on, but you're right, critical thinking, and I think going back to the point about Will Abbott and, and the likes that are doing research in the applied environment in football that's where they come in and that's where that they can help us um as, as uh, looking at good practice and, and so on definitely maybe we'll move it on to um some yes, of the quick sorry. fires on the end now uh, that was that was absolutely brilliant but we'll move it on to some of your biggest biggest influences on your career so far is there any sort of standout names for you that yeah. have influenced your career yeah absolutely i mean they that it's, I think it's the, the early ones. They always influence you, those early ones, because like I said about Holsey and I said John Harbin and Ian Dowie, they were my first experiences of, of, of football and, and especially in that elite environment. So for me, they stick with me all the time. And it's like, I, I, you know, for me, understanding football was crucial to be able to talk to Ian Dowie and, and, and him talk to me, a guy that's not played football at a high level, a guy that's, got a degree but hasn't done anything in the game whatsoever and we're there sat around a table talking about football having breakfast talking about football and the fact that I could hold that conversation was really important to me um, and he was a massive influencer on on timing on being you know punctual uh, leadership management he was huge and I think they all they were all huge because I knew nothing yeah I knew nothing um, I had an idea of what I might want to do. I had an idea of what I might like to do. Um, but these guys were, were, were huge, huge influences. And John Harbin had a, a rugby background and he was massively important. One, because I respected him. Two, because he gave me an opportunity. And three, because he helped me. Yeah. Um, you know, there's the opportunity, but you won't fail at it, Louis, because I'll help you. And he supported me. So they're the types of influences that are, are, are really crucial um, um, uh, for me anyway. Um, so it's always those earliest uh, uh, people. And then funnily enough, at, at university, there's someone who influenced me again because they gave me an opportunity, uh, Martin Skimmington. I was, um, I, I failed to get in, sub story, not a sub story. I failed to get in the armed forces as a 17, 18, 19 year old because I snapped my cruciate ligament a number of times. Um, and, and I kept saying it was too lax. And I remember walking around Southampton in a complete and utter state because I'd got the information for the third time that I wasn't going to get in and I'd been away to different things um uh per bright so I tried to get in the RAF and uh, uh Camford uh, loads of different places um to try and get in and I walked off the streets into Solent just walked in and went is there a sports course and I got shifted up to uh my Skimmington's office who was at the time uh, uh looked after the course he said yeah when do you want to do it I said well I played football and he knew me from Eastleigh we kind of knew each other and he set me up and he was a big influence on me because he showed me that I could do something that I probably wouldn't have done I'm, I'm not the most academically gifted student I never was I'm not the brightest bubble um and I thought a degree was well out of the equation for me and he proved that it wasn't. And so he's a big influencer on, on, on what I've done. But ultimately, I, I think the influences are wherever you go, yeah. um, wherever you are, there's always someone that can help. And there's always someone that knows something a little bit more than you. 
Um, uh, but for sure, uh, Halsey and, and John Harbin were the ones that showed me I could go from from here to there. And Simon Wilson, he's, a, he's actually a friend of mine, but he's um, back in the day, he showed me how to be an analyst a little bit better. Uh, Michael Edwards, who's a sporting director at, um, at Liverpool, you know, we were analysts together at Prozone and, and I'm watching his career. He's a, I would say he's an influence on me by, uh, by the way in which he's navigated his way to the top. Um, and his single-mindedness and his approach to uh, approach to bettering himself and and his understanding of the game and how to work with stakeholders. Um, yeah. So he, he, I would say, he's an influence without knowing he's an influence um, because he's a pal. You, you know, you don't necessarily tell your pal that he's an, an influence on you, do you? Um, but yeah, I would say that my earliest ones are, are really all emanate from Crystal Palace, Crystal Palace days. Real. And then, what would you say your biggest strength is as a practitioner? <laughs> strength or weakness because these could be one or the other I mean mm. f- f- I've been told previously that I don't have a specialist area so that everyone says that's possibly a weakness not for me I think a strength is the fact that there are so many disciplines in sports science coaching is an art and a science you've got to have a bit of both so for me I think I can position myself in most conversations yeah. which is something that allows me then to say right well I can contribute here I can help um, I can give you some information. I could probably uh, change something or we can at least come to you know, that critical thinking idea. So I think it's the fact that I haven't pigeonholed myself into one area um, and I enjoy all the areas of sports science, which is uh, not necessarily the same for everyone. So I think that's a strength, uh, um, being able to, to help most situations in, in, in player learning, I think is crucial. So that, that, that's probably my, my biggest strength. Real. And then just finally, in terms of, I always ask about CPD. And by CPD, I, I could mean a number of different things, whether it's courses, webinars, podcasts. Is there anything that sort of stands out for you? I like to use this, this section to maybe divert people's attention to something that they might not currently have done, whether it's a course or something, or just generally in terms of your advice on progressing as a practitioner. Yeah, I mean... I mean, there are loads of podcasts and courses. I mean, I, I really like the Training Ground Guru at the moment, um, simply because no one else has done that approach yeah. to telling us about who's where, what they're doing. Um, and there's some elements in there that, like, you know, uh, he's very good, Simon, at getting information uh, from, from the likes of Man United around their holistic programming, for argument's sake, or their mental health and then how they look after that and so on. So there's bits of snippets there that I, I find really interesting. And it's not a long read. It's yeah. not a long, you, know, you don't have to be engaged for very long. It's a quick snap. And then that may divert you somewhere else. So I found his, his website excellent as a, as a, as a resource. Um, I also think that um, I know others will probably mention bases more than, more than I do, but, um, for me, it's about getting in a room with similar people um, and similar mindsets. And I think, obviously, uh, with bases, you'll get some aspiring or some some people that want to be uh, uh, sports scientists and accredited sports scientists. So if that's where you want to be, then that's the place to be um, if you want to uh, engage in those conversations. But for me, I, I would I, I'm not a big fan of certificates. Um, I'm not a big fan of uh, of courses because I think that most people can go on a course and pass these days. Yeah. Um, I, I think it's about encouraging conversations and getting in people's environments. So for me, like there's people like Jason Dodd at Southampton, who was unbelievable as, as, as a youth team coach, had an aff- affinity with the youngsters. 
just was able to communicate and, and have rapport with them, which I found brilliant. Now, I'm not going to read that. You must have a rapport with youngsters on, a, on, a, on some kind of CPD. But seeing it and visualising it and going, how have you got James Ward Prowse to be your friend? And then when he's done something wrong, you've managed to, you know, uh, uh, industrial language, bollock him a little bit, and he yeah. still likes you. I yeah. mean, that's unbelievable. There's, 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 there's something there. And he could get he could get any one of those boys at that time to go from A to B uh, and navigate the path any way he wanted that mm. they would get there. Um, and for me, that, that human side is, is more crucial than a piece of paper. And, and, and people hate me for it um, because everybody loves a qualification these days and to get through a HR matrix, you've got to have one. But context and discussion and being able to give examples is, is, is so much more than, than CPD. It, it, at my stage or at someone's stage who's, who's you know, obviously got their degree, masters and so on and, and, and everything, there's always another one to do. There's a PhD, there's always another one to go for. But in, in terms of improving yourself quickly and in terms of getting CPD, go find those coaches, go find those technical coaches, go find the recruitment uh, ladies and girls, go and look at the women's program, go and look at a uh, pan disability program, change what you already know. Yeah. Uh, that, that would be my, my, my aspect. And courses can help that course. They can, they can develop your knowledge, but um, they can't tell you or see or show you. I don't think uh, these different aspects of programming for, um, for, for, for different sports. Brilliant, mate. Sorry, mate. <laughs> no, 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 that was great. And obviously we covered loads of that in the actual podcast as well. We're talking about standing out um, as a yeah. practitioner too. So I, I realised that, but that was some great advice, some great stuff covered in that as well. So I really appreciate you coming on and, and, and uh, being so open with what we've discussed. And I hope people have taken plenty from it. But if they want to keep uh, up to date with what you've got going on, you work at Weymouth, maybe the, the stuff at Solent as well. Like, where would you where would you direct them? Uh, my Twitter feed's really easy. It's at Lou Langdown. Um, uh, you can email me at louis.langdown at solent.ac.uk if you if you want to pick up any of these sort of uh, discussion points that we've come on. So really easy, two 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 easy ones to get. Um, so yeah, they'd be the easiest ones, I think. Ben. Perfect, mate. Well, thank you very much for coming on. I'll be looking out for the Weymouth results for the for the season ahead. So best of luck. Up the terrors. <laughs> <laughs> no, thank you very much, mate. I really appreciate it. And let's stay in touch. No worries. Keep up the good work, Ben. Top man. I really enjoyed this chat with Louis. So I really appreciate him giving up his time and coming on. I know he's got loads of stuff going on at the moment. Um, so I really appreciate his time. It was great to sort of dive into his experiences um, and I know he gave you some great stories about his, his sort of career along the way so far. So I hope you enjoyed that. I've got loads of takeaways. I'm going to try and narrow it down to just a few. Um, he spoke about talking the football language quite early on in the podcast, which I think is really, really important. And that shows as well across the different roles that Louis has been involved in from analyst to sports science right up to assistant manager you have to be able to talk that language and obviously the the people that you're talking to it has to be adapted as well um, which we have covered before he spoke about strong staff matters so making sure that you're surrounding yourself and building your team with the right people Um, he said about taking ownership and not sitting on your backside as a as a coach or a young coach or possibly someone that's in an internship like doing the work that is needed. Um, and then also, we spoke about being a pracademic. 
And we have spoke about something like this before. I don't think we used that exact phrase, but in a previous podcast, I remember um, speaking about this, having both sides to your practice where um, obviously being academic and, and getting looking into research um, and understanding the why behind things is really, really important. But the practical side of, of what we do is equally, if not more important, because that's how we get our message across to players. And that's how we have our true impact with players and coaches. So, that is really, really important. And the, the pracademic phase, I, I really like. Um, obviously, something that you could question as a, as a practitioner, whether you sit too far on one side than the other. Is it is the one side that you need to develop more than the other? Um, so it's just something to think about. And then just finally, I'll add on to that as well. He spoke about innovation. And we had a little chat about it, about, yes, it's good to innovate, but there isn't always the need to innovate. Like, sometimes we have to question are we adding things just for the sake of adding them? Or um, is is it a time to innovate and do something a little bit different? So I think it's just worth, worth questioning at that time that you do want to add something in. Um, is it How is it going to benefit the practice? And how, um, how impactful is it going to be at that point? So a really, really enjoyable conversation with Louis. Go and give him a follow on Twitter at Lou, L-O-U, Langdown. Um, and just a heads up, like I said at the start, we've got the two events coming up, Thursday the 19th of Rotherham, at, um, sorry, Thursday the 19th of August at Rotherham, getting carried away, and then Tuesday the 31st of August at Preston North End's training ground. Tickets are now available at footballfitfed.com and just click the shop tab and they are available there. So it'd be great to see as many of you guys, as many listeners there as possible um, for an evening or a couple of evenings of networking and some brilliant presentations from some pro- top practitioners as well. Um, those presentations will be available on our community afterwards as well if you can't make the event. So make sure you go and sign up to the community to get access to those. Big thank you again for listening. Really appreciate all the listens and support. And I'll speak to you again next week in episode 149.